uh, finger there in that uh, particular passage, and we're going to just ask God's blessing upon this time now. Father, we want to uh, just ask that as we open up this word, this uh, passage together in Romans 5, a passage that in some ways is, can be a little bit confusing, a little bit uh, hard to understand, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. I pray, Lord, that uh, that the things we learn will uh, strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ and help us to uh, have a great confidence in knowing the one whom we belong to, the one whom we serve, and the power which is ours in him to live the lives that he's called us to. We ask it for Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you look back through history, you can probably uh, think of a number of people who have really had quite a significant influence on uh, on human society. Um, you know, I think uh, just quickly of, of people like, for instance, if you go right back to a guy called Socrates. Uh, Socrates was a Greek philosopher and he greatly changed the processes of, of human thinking, of, of human thought and philosophy that has, has affected Western civilization right the way through until today. Um, think of uh, a fellow called uh, Galileo who uh, in his day changed the way people uh, viewed the solar system you know even the uh, you know in those days everyone thought that the uh, the uh, sun and, and all the other things all the other solar uh, bodies revolved around the earth but Galileo in even in contradiction to uh, to many of the, uh, the 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 authoritative bodies in his day uh, said no that's not right and he changed the way in which we see our solar system think of guys like William Wilberforce uh, a man who helped bring about the abolition of slavery in uh, in Europe, an incredible uh, impact, uh, you know, in our uh, in our uh, society and in our world with, with this uh, with the abolition of slavery today. You know, we we oh, sorry in in his day. Of course, we often still see slavery about today, but we we recognise that there are people who have actually been able to make a difference, and we can sort of see their example, and we can be encouraged and enthused by their example, and be used, you know, in perhaps in ways uh, similar. Of course, there are you know, plenty of other people. Martin Luther King, particular in the, the civil rights movement in America. Nelson Mandela with apartheid in South Africa. And I'm sure that there will probably be many other people who are coming to your minds right now. But there, you know, regardless of, of, of just you know the impact that these people have had, you know, across across our world and in human in human uh, history. There are two men in particular that have had a profound impact that, that has impacted the lives of every single body who has ever, ever lived and who will ever live in our world today. The reason these people are, has influence is far greater is because that through just one act, one act on each of their behalves, they have affected all of mankind. One, through his act, brought about death to all mankind, but one, through his one act, has made it possible for life for all of mankind, eternal life. Now, when it comes to every human being that's ever been born or whoever will be born, these are the two most central things to our existence, aren't they? Death and life. You know, when we come to uh, this series we've been working through in, in Romans, in, in, in the book of Romans, we just, you know, the question that uh, as I was sort of working through this passage um, this week was, why on earth would Paul turn his attention now, or would he, would he sort of all of a sudden deem it important to speak about, you know, the, uh, the, the role of Adam and the role of Christ? I mean, he's already made clear through these opening chapters of Romans that, uh, that it is through Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection that he's made it possible for all men to be made right with God. Remember the, the argument that Paul's been making in Romans you know, through one, uh, 1 through to 3 where he's, the argument is that, that everyone falls short of the glory of God. 
Everyone is a sinner and condemned before God because they are, in fact, you know, because they are sinners. They are, they have been um, 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 cut off from God and from the life that is in God. And Paul says, not one person is, uh, is, is, uh, is able to be able to come before God and say that they have a right to enter into his presence and to have a, a personal relationship with him. Not one person in all of human history, Paul says. But there is one way in which we can be made right with God and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the only way that we can be justified to have our sins forgiven, to have our sins paid for and to be able to be put into a relationship with God where we are no longer fearful. We no longer need to fear his condemnation or his holy wrath but we can actually come and know that we are loved and embraced and accepted by him. So Paul turns his attention to answering the question of how it is that one act by one man, that one act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, actually does have the capacity to affect millions and millions and millions of lives. And he does so by drawing a comparison between Adam, the first man, and Christ. And he does see it in verse 14 of our passage this morning. As I said, keep your fingers there in Romans chapter, chapter 5. He says that um, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul is setting up Adam here as a pattern, a type of Christ. And what he wants to do is he wants to draw some similarities between Adam and Jesus to help us to understand the influence that Christ has secured for us, the, the justification before God that Christ has secured for us, and how it can actually impact the lives of millions of people who put their faith and trust in him. Now Paul is going to say by one act, Adam's disobedience affected the whole of humanity. But by a greater act, Paul is going to say, Jesus' obedience overcame Adam's universal influence. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at under two headings this morning, Adam's influence and Christ's influence. So let's begin with Adam first. In verses 12 to 14 and verses 18 and 19 of our passage, Paul introduces, or Paul you know, makes clear that through this one man's actions, through Adam's actions, sin and death came into the world and all of humanity has been affected by them, come under their power. Look at verse 12 this morning. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul is beginning to make this, this, uh, this, this, this uh, statement. He says that basically Adam sinned there in the garden. Back there in the Garden of Eden when God told, he, told Adam and Eve that they could eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden apart from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, God said to them, but because if on the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And of course, you might be familiar with the story, but of course Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate of that fruit of that particular tree. And at that particular point in time, something took place that... Paul refers to here is that sin entered into the world at that precise moment. Sin entered into the world. 
And because sin entered into the world, so did death. Of course, we're not just talking about a, uh, a physical death, but also what we refer to as a spiritual death, or what the scriptures refer to as the second death. And that is that we are created to be people who are not just physical beings, but spiritual beings. This life that we live today, this physical life, is not the sum total of who we are and, and the sum total of the meaning of our existence but that we were created to be spiritual beings, created in the image of God. But God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the, that, that, that fruit of that particular tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you will surely die. On that day you will be separated from me and from the life, the eternal life that is found only in me. And this is what Paul is saying. When Adam sinned, he, sin came into the world and death through sin because all sin. Now that phrase there is a really, really important one for us to focus on this morning, that all sinned. Because basically what Paul is saying here is when, when Adam sinned there in the Garden of Eden, when he disobeyed God, his sin was automatically applied or, if you like, imputed to us as fellow human beings, those who would follow after him. His sin was automatically applied to the whole of the human race. Adam being the first man was in fact the representative of all of humanity. He was our representative, yours and my representative as individuals there in the garden. And because he sinned, we are all counted as sinners before God. Now you might say, well, hang on a minute. That's a little bit unfair, isn't it? I mean, our individual, individual sort of way of thinking is to sort of think, well, how is it that another person's actions can actually you know, impact on me? Well, don't we see that every, every single day anyway? That the actions of others actually have an impact on us? Look at our governments, for instance. You look at the federal government or the state government, the, the, the election we've just had here in Queensland. You know, we've, we've elected representatives. Now, you may not have uh, voted for the Labor Party who's come into power in Queensland. You may not have voted for the Liberal National Party who are currently in power in the, in, in, you know, in the federal perspective. But the decisions that those governments make and, and under the leaders, whether it be the Premier or whether it be the Prime Minister, the decisions that they make actually impact on all of us. They are our representatives. Well, look at it in a, perhaps a different analogy of a sporting team, for, for instance. If you've ever played in a sporting team before, if, if one person on your sporting team actually uh, you know, commits a foul, then the referee blows his whistle and the whole team is penalised. What Paul states here is that when Adam sinned there in the garden, as our representative, we all sinned. And we all became sinners in him. And because of that, we have been, um, we have been um, separated from God. And Paul says that all we can expect from God is judgment and condemnation. The evidence that Paul then goes on to, 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 to present that proves that, of course, we're all counted as sinners in Adam is the fact that the, the reality that all people die. 
He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The fact that we die, this, the physical death to start with, is a proof that we are all counted as sinners before God. So Paul draws the connection by saying that through Adam's sin, sin entered the world, and as a result of sin entering the world, so did death. And we'll, he'll talk about this a bit more in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, when he says, For the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. So the fact that all men die points to this reality that all men then are corrupted by sin and under its power. Paul actually, you know, uses when he speaks of sin and death here, he's not just speaking of, of particular acts and that sort of thing, but he's also speaking of them in terms of a power that is ruling and reigning over this world right now. And that all men are under the power of sin and death. They are a ruling power, they it's like a tyrant, if you like, that has this power over us, and there is no way that we can get out from underneath that power. That we are slaves to those powers. All men die because all men are sinners by nature. This phrase "all sin" basically is, is the doctrine. Is, is, is sorry, is the foundation of a of a, a couple of, of of doctrines that we have as a Christian church, and that is the doctrine of, of original sin. That is that that we've inherited a sinful nature directly resulting from Adam's sin, and it also is the basis of the of the uh, the um, the doctrine of total depravity, in that we have all. Um, the whole person, body, soul, spirit, mind, will, the whole lot is corrupted by this power of sin. That every person is corrupted by sin from birth, resulting in each and every one of us living sinful lives and therefore standing condemned before God. Psalm 51 and verse 5, King David understood this. Listen to the words he wrote in Psalm 51 verse 5. He says, Behold... I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now David's not saying there that, you know, that he was conceived in some kind of sinful act by his mother, but in fact that, that he was conceived as a sinful person. That right from the womb he was sinful. In Psalm 58 and verse 3, again we see something similar where the author writes, The wicked are estranged from the womb. In other words, they're estranged from God from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. Many of you are parents in this room. How many of you had to teach your kids how to do the wrong thing? You don't need to teach your kids that, do you? It order, it's automatically there. And that's what, what, what uh, Paul is saying here. You know, we are sinful right from the time we come out of our mother's womb. Now, there's a truth that we need to understand in that. If we are sinful right from the time we come out from our mother's womb, then right from the word go, we stand condemned before God. And anything that we try and do is actually corrupted by our sinful nature. 
So whether it be even good things, ultimately those things are even still corrupted by our sinful nature and so therefore we cannot in any way, shape or form earn God's favour. We cannot earn his approval. From birth we are linked with Adam and the consequences of his disobedience to God. And Adam's trespass, we are told, leads to condemnation for all men. We see that in verse 18. And through his disobedience, many were made sinners. So therefore, this morning, if you are in Adam, which can I say we all are, then we are all under the reign of sin and death. And there is no way of getting out of that in and of our own strength and our own abilities. We can do nothing about that situation. And when we read that, folks, what we should, what we should understand in our hearts and our minds is, is the utter and sheer hopelessness of mankind's situation apart from God. That our destiny is death, a physical death, but then a complete and utter separation from God for eternity. But that's when then Paul brings in the good news. If that is how we are in Adam, then Paul says, you know what, there is something which we need to understand and which can bring great joy and great hope to our hearts. And that is the fact that just as in one man, through his one act, death came to all men, so through the act of another man and his obedience to God, life is possible. Life abundant. An eternal life that doesn't start when this life finishes, but an eternal life that actually starts right here and right now in the present. And so Paul wants us to see our deep and absolute connection with Adam in order that we can, he can then go and say that just as his actions were able to impact all of, our, all of mankind, how much more can Christ's actions impact us on a greater scale? Look at verse 18, which is the conclusion to, uh, to what Paul begins in verse 12. He goes off on a, in a bit of an aside in verses 13 and following, but he comes back to his point in verse 18. So he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, we go down to verse 18, Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Just as one trespass led to condemnation resulting in death, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. Verse 19, For as by the one man's, that is Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's, that is Christ's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Folks, if we deny Adam's influence on the whole of humanity, then by necessity we also need to deny Christ's ability to save all of mankind as well. Whereas in Adam sin and death reigned, now in Christ 
life reigns. And Paul says in verse 17 that we can reign in this life too. That we can be taken from a position where we are indeed slaves to sin and death and actually be made rulers over them with Jesus Christ as joint heirs with him in his kingdom. John Piper states this, he says, The deepest reason why death reigns over all is not because of our individual sins, but because of Adam's sin imputed to us. So the deepest reason eternal life reigns is not because of our individual deeds of righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to us by grace through faith. The fact that we are in Adam and that we, are con- we stand condemned with him in his line we, you know, because of his one act, Paul is saying here, by a great act through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and putting our faith and trust in him, we can actually be taken from that position of, of slavery to sin and death, of, of darkness, of hopelessness, and be placed into this new situation, this new standing with God where we are embraced by him, where we receive life and life in its fullness in his name, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. But that is the only way that we can be made right with God. Now we often know it in our own minds that you know the, the way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. But so often we practice a works-based theology. Or, you know, we, we, we try to earn God's favour in all sorts of different ways. But we need to rejoice in the fact that God has already done everything that needs to be done for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We don't have to do it anymore. Jesus has already done it for us. And that should lift us up off our seats and rejoice and and praise God and sing hallelujah. If we, if we grasp the depth of our, of our hopelessness in Adam, we, it's only the, we, grab, we grasp that that we actually then start to understand the, the gravity of what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. And folks, that's what really needs to grip our hearts and grip our lives in such a way that there's that never, never gripped us before. Because that is going to be the motivation and the basis by which we'll then go out into the world and say, you know what, there's a better way. You know what? You're trying to earn your way to God and earn his approval. Jesus has already done it and he can take you from death to life just by putting your faith and trust in him. And let me show you what that life looks like by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. That's what God wants to do. And God wants to shake his church, folks. He wants to shake his church, this church and all his, his, his worldwide church today. He wants to shake it to the very core and say, you know what? You need to understand the depth and the gravity of where you've come from to where I want to lift you out of and put you in. That wonderful, that wonderful place of, of reigning with Christ in his kingdom right now today. You think, gee, you're getting a bit excited about that, Duncan. Folks, this is what should really excite us. And I've got to tell you that, that it's, you know, I 
Only just recently again that God has, has re-infused me in my heart and in my spirit to know where he's called me from and what he's called me to. And my prayer is that he'll do that in your lives as well. Paul has been using Adam as, a, as an example of Christ and saying, you know, just as, as, as Adam did this, then Christ has done this. But, but Paul then goes on to say, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to stop with the comparisons. I'm actually going to draw some contrasts. And we see this in verse 15. He said, but the free gift, that is the free gift of Christ's righteousness, is not like the trespass of Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Paul is drawing this comparison in, you know, in one way, but now he's going to draw this contrast and say, you know, the work of Adam was, you know, is a bit like Christ, but, but it's nothing like Christ in another sense. In the fact that Christ's work is far greater and abound, the grace of God abounds much more in the, in the grace of Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ than it does in Adam. Again in verse 16, and the free gift, this gift of righteousness, is not like the result of that one man's sin in Adam's. What, we need, what Paul is trying to make clear here is that God's grace far outweighs Adam's sin and its effects. Far outweighs it. It was through only one trespass or one sinful act that judgment and condemnation came about, resulting in, in sin and death and, 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 and us being sinful people. But Paul says, but the free gift following these many trespasses, following all the sins of mankind, actually brought about justification. Now, if, if God judged the world because of one sin, if Adam back there in, you know, in the Garden of Eden, just through one act, God brought judgment on the world, then you would expect that, that many sins would bring greater judgment, wouldn't you? You know, one sin, judgment, huge amounts of sins, like you know, countless sins that we can't even begin to imagine, you would expect God to have an even greater judgment. But Paul says no, because the grace of God is not like that judgment that he brought upon on Adam. In fact, you know, God's gift of righteousness followed so many sins. And, uh, and Charles Cranfield, the, 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 the wonderful uh, uh, theologian and author, writes this, and I love these words. He says, here's the remarkable thing about God's grace that the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages, all of humanity's sin, you look at our world and you look at all of the, the evil and the, and the terrible stuff that, that, that's happened in all of human history and you look at the sinful wickedness of all of that, Cranfield says that the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. That, folks, is the miracle of miracles. It is utterly beyond human comprehension. That on my bed a few weeks ago, and I contemplated all of my sin. I looked at myself long ago, 
And I thought, what a horrible human being. Reality of my sin. I couldn't help but think, what a horrible human being. And many of us today think that same thing of ourselves. When we think about our sin... And mind you, mind you, the devil wants to remind us of our sin over and over and over again, doesn't he? He wants to keep bringing it to the surface, doesn't he? About how sinful we are, about how awful and horrible people we are. But then God reminded me. The words of the Apostle Paul. Oh, what a sinful man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace. God's grace in Christ is so more abundant than our sin. How many sins have you piled up? God's grace is greater. How great is your guilt? How great is that heaviness that overwhelms us because of the guilt of our sin. God's grace is able to overcome that sin and guilt and lift us up out of that. Remind us of the fact that Jesus Christ, in dying on that cross, paid for all of our sins, past, present and future. They are done and dealt with. No more to be done. And God says, welcome into my arms. Welcome into my kingdom. I love you and nothing can change that. God's free gift of righteousness due to his abounding grace is greater. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is this then, folks. Are we still in Adam or are we in Christ? You know, you may not have got a say in terms of Adam being your representative, but this morning you have certainly got a say in whether you're going to choose Christ as your representative, whether or not you're going to move from that, as Stephen mentioned earlier, from that, that kingdom of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of his light and goodness. That's your choice, folks. Today that is your choice. But Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to have that choice in the first place. And he wants to say to you today, you can choose me and you can choose life. You no longer need to have your life ruled by sin and death. God in his great mercy has made it possible to be set free from that and enter into this new abundant life in Jesus Christ. Will you choose that this morning? Will you choose that this morning? And if you've already done that, if you've already done that in Jesus Christ, 
Will you just be reminded afresh this morning of what Jesus has done for you already? That you don't have to do it on your, on your own anymore. That the, the guilt and the, and the, and the, you know, that, that heavy weight that is resting there on your shoulders this morning, Jesus wants to come and he wants to lift that off you and say, it's okay. I've done it for you. Come to me. Take my yoke, you know, that Isaac was talking about last week. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is light. I've spoken enough. The Spirit, I pray, will continue to speak into your hearts and lives this morning. But can I leave you these words? It's words that we've already sung today. I don't know whether you realise it when you sung when you sung them, but listen to them again. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds and far exceeds our sin and our guilt. There on Calvary's mount outpoured, poured out, there where the, the blood of the Lamb is spilt. Marvellous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed, freely. You, don't have, you can't earn it. It's given freely, freely bestowed on all who will believe. All who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment, his grace receive? Will you receive his grace today? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace, God's grace, grace. Communion stewards like to come forward. We're going to hand out the uh, communion elements this morning. And what a way to end our service. Because these elements speak very much of that grace of God poured out for us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his body and through his blood, in giving his life, he has made life possible for us. And this morning, if you have received that grace in Jesus Christ, if you've come and partaken of that matchless, infinite grace in Christ, then you are welcome at the table. In fact, Jesus wants to make everyone welcome at his table, but we've got to come on his terms, folks. We've got to come submitting to him. And putting our faith and trust in him as our saviour and as the one who is, can, he can be the only one who sacrifice pays for our sin before God. I invite you, if you've done that today, to partake of the elements as they're passed around, to eat of the bread, being reminded of Jesus' body given for us. But then I want you to hold the cup that we might all drink in fellowship together, that blood that was shed for our sins, for the forgiveness of sins, for all of mankind. And that blood that was shed in order to bring us into a new humanity in Jesus Christ. A humanity no longer characterised by sin and death, but by righteousness and life. Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We want to thank you that... Through Jesus Christ, our sin can be entirely dealt with. 
And this morning we've got a tangible way of recognising what Jesus has done for us in receiving these elements. My prayer this morning is that as we partake of these elements, we will be reminded afresh of the grace of God for us in Christ. Amen.